I'm Michael Laurie, and you're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. Hello everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Ulster Rugby Roundup. I'm Gareth Hanna, and I'm back thanks to our recent squad rotation policy. Resting up this week is Jonathan Bradley, who shifted from the hosting chair to fill his seat of knowledge. Is Adam McAndrew. Hello. And holding his place after another strong showing, Michael Sadler. Hi everybody. You're... You're sort of host this week. I mean, I'm host, but you're a host because we're in your house. Oh yeah, sort of like a Colin Murray type situation, isn't it? He used to, <laughs> he used to broadcast from his house or something. Yeah, like I didn't know that, but yes, it I is that situation. And you provided some lovely shortbread, uh, chocolate chip shortbread, is that? It doesn't come across well, though, on, uh, without well, vision, does it? But, well, yeah. no, I haven't tasted it. Well, I can say it was after. very tasty. I'll, I'll give it the quality control and say <laughs> it passed the so, test. Try not so, to eat it now during this, though. Otherwise <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jonathan Bradley has never provided... Uh, Chocolate chip shortbread. He did provide something, but I but don't I, think we ate it. Oh, yeah, right enough. We were at his house. I forgot about that. Oh, yeah, he did, to be fair. But that looks better than what he gave us. Okay, so, well, thanks. So you win that. You win Thank that. You. Thank <laughs> you very much. This week, of course, we have Ulster's bonus point victory over Dragons to discuss, and Ireland and the Six Nations are back this weekend with the visit of France. We've got plenty of your listener questions to talk about as well, and of course, the club roundup. But what about the Schools Cup? I hear you cry. Well, we're saving all that for a special Schools Cup bonus edition next week, and we promise it will will be worth it. Um, it's Wednesday mornings to the second semi-final. It hasn't actually happened yet, so we can't really discuss that yet. Um, for now then, Dragons 15, Ulster 28. Adam, what exactly can we take from that uh, performance? Uh, we can say job done. We can say five points on the board and mm-hmm. come away from what has been a rather annoying venue for Ulster. We were talking last week about how Ulster don't necessarily play badly there, just that it's a ve- it's one of those venues where whenever you go there, it's a, it's a very tough venue in terms of just it's not very good. But I thought Ulster did the job very professionally, especially down to 13 men. I thought that fourth try was absolutely fantastic. The way they controlled play, even whenever they were down two guys on the pitch, just letting the forwards take over. And I think that's the big takeaway for me from it. I think the forwards were very much in control of that game, which is something we haven't seen from Ulster for a while, but it's still coming through so well this year. You saw it from the start with Jordy Murphy's try, um, and then, of course, uh, Alan O'Connor going over for the bonus point. I just thought, against uh, what we knew was going to be an inferior pack from the Dragons, an inferior team from the Dragons, Ulster stepped up and they didn't let the fact that they were away overwhelm them. They didn't let the fact that uh, they basically were under pressure to get five points. Mm-hmm. No matter what they said in the build-up to it, they needed five points from it. They basically put that aside, <clears throat> and the pack really controlled that game, and I, I was very impressed with how that went. But for me, job done, mm-hmm. five points, go into the break happy. Exactly, Michael. The man of the match officially, and in your ratings as well, Eric O'Sullivan. Yes, yes. Uh, he had a tremendous game. Um, he shows up so well in the loose. And, and Ulster are trying, I think this was alluded to at some point, to bring greater link play when their forwards carry the ball. And he, uh, you know, he was the cornerstone of that, and he'd be popping passes or just making breaks. We kind of got used to him doing that, but he kind of stepped it up again, another level, um, last Sunday. Um, and he really did. He really shone, and must surely be putting down a marker uh, and getting noticed, you know, further up. Like, even the likes of Joe Schmidt for what he what he's able to do. Scrummaging maybe wasn't maybe as tested in that area as you might have expected because they were playing one of the weakest teams 
in the Pro 14, and I think that also has to be borne in mind, regardless of the fact that Newport is a traditionally horrible place for any team to go and play, and quite often even quality teams underperform there. Uh, you are nevertheless playing against a side of inferior quality who you should always be beating. Um, they knew that, naturally enough. But yeah, they came away with the five points, and you can't argue with that. And as Adam rightly says, to go down to 13 men, and I'm wondering if that's a record, because Louis Ludic got a yellow card and gave away a penalty try in the previous game as well. And then he did it again. Is he going for a hat-trick? Hopefully not. <laughs> but uh, to be down to 13 men and to take control of that game in the way they did. And they weren't playing particularly well. They played at patches, but then they would kind of go off a bit. And, and that's the worrying thing for me, that they did end up having three men binned. That is a bit worrying. A better team and the Dragons would have punished them far more ruthlessly mm -hmm. than was the case. So if they can keep their men on the park and they can keep grinding out mm -hmm. these wins, then I think you know we can be reasonably confident going forward that they can make a really, really substantial go at nailing down a, a Pro 14 mm -hmm. playoff place. I, I really wish there were stats. When was the last time that someone gave away two consecutive penalty tries and a yellow card? <laughs> like that must, that must be a first, giving away... <laughs> Two, your, your two consecutive penalties are penalty tries and yellow cards yeah. but it, it does it makes that bonus point try all the more impressive though too it does of course yeah, they, it, ma they managed yeah. to get it it, it was unbelievable it, it was I mean they really were they knew that their backs were against the wall at that point not necessarily they were going to lose the game but they, well that they could ship more points and put themselves in a very da dangerous situation and they in fairness knuckled down and they played it direct and kept kept the ball and just ground them down to get that, that score and uh, that could be a very important try mm, as uh, we go forward. Was that Eric's best performance in Ulstershire? You've got to bear in mind the opposition um, and it's, it's hard to say that without <laughs> and then say no offence to the Dragons but look <laughs> He he is. Okay. You're absolutely terrible. No offense. Like, anytime <laughs> anyone says no offense, they actually mean offense. I think that's a pretty. Good I don't think many dragons Look, players listen to this. So he fine. he was he was very good, and I find it very interesting the timing of it came after all the speculation yeah. about Jack McGrath coming in. Obviously, a lion's loose head potentially coming up and would be taking over that starting jersey. Eric O'Sullivan goes out and produces one of the best performances he's had all season, and I think it. It's just incredible to think that this time last year he was probably preparing for an All-Ireland League game with Banbridge. And this year, Ulster, it's unthinkable that they would start a game without him right yeah. now because he's just been that good. Michael brought up a very good point that I hadn't even thought about. His link play has been very good and I think that's probably mm. something that Dan McFarland has seen in him, which is why he's been able to make the step up so quickly and that he's got very good hands for a big guy um, being able to get those offloads away. And even running decent lines in terms of uh, making line breaks so that it, I'm amazed that Joe Schmidt if this hasn't already happened that he's not at least training with Ireland because he's been so good this year Schmidt's yeah. already name checked him now Michael and I were talking earlier and Michael made the very good point that Schmidt name checked practically everybody <laughs> but at the same time I'm expecting one to these days. At the same time, he was name-checked by Schmidt before <coughs> the squad was announced, and since then, he's only improved. So yeah. if he's not already at least training with the Ireland squad, you'd imagine that at some point he'll be getting a call mm. to come down and at least see what's going on. If Jack McGrath mm. does join, and as 
you all discussed very well last week. The podcast was very good last week, by the way. I, did, I listened to it last night and then when I was in the shower this morning, mm. and it was it was great. What really was, enjoyed what's it. What's different about it? Do you think? Oh, with a better host, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it, it was very good. Very, very good job. Um, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, you discussed Jack McGrath obviously at length last week, and the fact that we're not one hundred percent sure whether he's signed or not, but we're reporting things as they happen. So if he does sign, and Ulster already have signed Gareth. Milosevic, is that one? right? But yeah. um, hmm. with those two, say that they, they both come in, and with Eric's performance, what would that mean for your strongest team? Like has Eric has Eric earned his spot in saying, well, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be nailed on without him next next season. Well, um, yeah, I mean Jack McGrath might be looking at this now, thinking, you know, maybe this isn't such a clever move for me either. I'd be battling really hard for my loose head place anyway. Uh, Milosevic, if that's I can't, is primarily a tight head. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so really you're talking about uh, Eric and Jack McGrath and Jack McGrath comes. Now, the only thing is that Eric cannot go every game and be flogged the way he is being flogged. He's a very young prop. He's also got an awful lot to learn and, and he will get even better. Um, the argument is that you know he would learn a great deal off Jack McGrath and not have to take on the workload that he, he's taking on now, though he seems to be positively relishing that. And that that would give Ulster tremendous strength and depth and the ability to rotate <laughs> And if Jack McGrath, or even let's say Eric, got called up to Ireland camp, mm-hmm. one of them might might still be here. But how ironic that would be if they both then went down to potentially Ireland camp and Ulster then suddenly were thinking, <laughs> oh, where are loose heads gone? Um, yeah. But look, he, you know, Jack Jack has, 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 has clearly uh, some form of decision to make. Um, it would appear that it's not just uh, kite flying this, that he is considering... Uh, doing something to try and revive his international career and get better game time with an Irish province. Um, but as we say, it's, it's unclear exactly what will happen yet. But there's no doubt. I mean, Eric has, has put down a marker and said, mm-hmm. well, you know, OK, if you do come here, uh, you're going to have to fight with me now. Don't don't expect that this is necessarily going to be a fait accompli for you. Uh, this kite flying thing this has to go down as another uh, rugby term that I despise where did this come from kite who, who invented this I don't know I've heard it before outside yeah. rugby oh, I, don't, kite, well, yeah. I don't like it oh you don't like it no well you can I edit don't, it out I'm just going to beep last week so okay. uh, no more mention of it um, so the yellow cards and obviously you discussed them a little bit earlier but um, is it becoming a little, little bit of a worry maybe a little bit um Michael made a good point there that it's not such a problem right now because it was against Zebra and the Dragons, neither of whom made the most of having the extra man and never looked like they were going to make the most of it. But against better sides, you will get punished for mm-hmm. indiscipline like that. Um, even in the next game against the Kings, they're not a side who'll make the most of it. But um, whenever you come up against Leinster or Glasgow or Edinburgh in any of those last four games that Ulster have those teams are going to absolutely punish you. So it's something that I think is very easily rectified because they're not repeated infringements. It's one-off infringements. It's not like Ulster are giving away multitudes of penalties and giving the referee no choice. It's deliberate knock-ons that are something that if you get your defensive shape a little bit better, then someone's not left isolated on the outside and has to knock it on like that. Or if you just make a better decision uh, instead of going for the knock-on. You try and make the tackle or uh, you try and force the guy on the outside. It, it, it would be different, in my opinion, if you were giving away yellow cards for uh, 
persistent infringements yeah. and it was basically you couldn't handle the pressure that other mm. teams were putting on you. I think these are just one-off incidents that uh, end up in guys going to the sin bin and that's just something that, you know, can stay cool under pressure and don't, just don't do that. All defences do plan to have be down to 14 men so they'll all mm. have, uh, they'll all be well versed in what to do yeah. when they're but uh, these are calculated decisions. Uh, what do they do? Do they allow the pass or do they try and stop the pass? They naturally try to stop the pass. It's a professional <coughs> game, it's a professional file. Um, the, the worrying thing is that you would end up going down to 13 because that is like you're getting very close to presumably something close to system failure at that point yeah, because it's so difficult. No, not, not maybe quite so much. Um, but I think Adam's absolutely right. Uh, these were just decisions that were made. Uh, to just prevent tries and you would nearly mm. always get decisions being made like that by players if they had the opportunity to try yeah. and stop that from happening mm. they will make that call mm. but if they go down and if they do something like that in those final games Glasgow, Edinburgh, Leinster whatever in the Pro 14 mm. then you'd expect them to be absolutely put to the sword yeah. when you've 13 men in the park I'm yeah. sure they'll not fall for that again Mm. Uh, we'll throw in a listener question at this stage. The South Wales URSC uh, say that we talk most weeks about a turning point or a season-defining moment. Was Friday night with 13 men on the park that moment when Ulster can really believe in the systems? And they're talking about the players managing and maybe even more so the supporters. Uh, how, how big a belief does that give you? Does he mean Sunday though? Surely he means Sunday. Does he mean Friday? What did they say? Oh Friday. yeah, Friday, yeah, presumably oh, something. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> that's the one we've just seen yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Season, season-defining. I, I wouldn't say season-defining. It's a very important moment. Whenever you go down to thirteen men, the expectation, even in the team who have the ball, is not we're we're gonna go and score a try. But Ulster still managed to go down the pitch and score a try through sheer determination and brute strength in that uh, front five or the sorry the front eight so I, I think it's a hugely important score because if you come away from Rodney Parade with four points it's seen as a point dropped as close to four points gained so the fact that you're actually coming away with the five points you come away with the maximum haul no injuries you're feeling pretty good you're sitting nicely in Conference B, I think Ulster are probably feeling really, really good about themselves going into this break because they are now in a position where you've got the Kings coming up after this short break, which should be another five points heading into the European game against Leinster. Mm. So I, I don't think there's anything they can look back on over the Six Nations period so far and think oh, we, we didn't pick up what we expected to in these games. I think coming out of these games, they'll be in the position they expected to be in, and now they can really put a focus on the this last block of games in order to get into the playoffs. So the, the try in itself, I wouldn't say a season-defining, but I think it's hugely important because it gets them into a position where they can go on and make it season-defining. Mm-hmm. What about defining? There's uh, people that seem to be very keen on turning points this week. Uh, Donal has asked, was that try a turning point in the strength of Ulster's team? He makes the point that for years they could boost a, a back line that was the envy of most of Europe, but uh, they didn't have the forwards to the, the platform. Um, so was that try with two men down and showing the uh, some clinical ball retention and gain line breaking that Donal says he would have associated with Ireland last season? Um well, he makes a point that he doesn't remember quite as good an attacking uh, a sequence of attacking forward play from Ulster ever. How how highly does it rate 
3D metal and d does it signify that sort of turning point in Ulster's Ulster's strength now as maybe it's forward? Uh, well definitely uh, that, that, that did demonstrate something you wouldn't have expected to see from Ulster before, in seasons before and not even necessarily this season. They're definitely developing a, a harder edge, there's no doubt about that. And traditionally, I think, if they'd been in that situation, Rodney Parade, say, 12 months ago, 24 months ago, uh, you wouldn't have ever expected them to, to do that unless somebody had worked an edge and got away or, you know, something like that. But no, they, they, they did do it. It was very impressive. And they have been getting better throughout this season. Um, so turning point, again, like Adam said, perhaps a little bit strong at the moment. But I think there's no doubt that if they do go on and achieve something uh, of substance this season that you can look back on this s sequence of games and go well normally they would have tripped up there yeah but they yeah. haven't so perhaps there is something in that mm -hmm. good old Donald, <laughs> good old Donald. <laughs> the, the biggest thing for me just quickly to add something to that, the biggest thing for me is now the confidence that Ulster have kicking to the corner I know that's not <laughs> you know to do with that passage of play but the fact that Ulster now have supreme confidence in kicking to the corner and backing their mall to get over 10 times out of 10 mm -hmm. that that to me is more of a signifier of a turning point than that try was. Yeah. I th again, I still think turning point is too strong a phrase, but um, that that for mm -hmm. me is a bigger indicator that Ulster are really happy with what their yeah. pack are doing at the moment. Yeah. Armand probably should have had a little more faith in their mall at the last yesterday, but we'll hold that for the Schools Cup <laughs> podcast next week. Um, just I look at the, the table then, as we've discussed a little bit, but Ulster are now a point behind Bennett and here second, four ahead of Scarlet and seven ahead of Edinburgh. What now, looking at this table, do you expect Ulster to uh, Ulster to achieve come the end of the season? Where would you expect them to finish, given as we know their difficult running? It, it, it's it's so tough to sort of look ahead, purely because you've got the Leinster quarterfinal to throw in in the middle. Now, I say that not because I think like that game is going to derail them or anything, but I would have had Glasgow as a game that Ulster could have actually taken something away from because they'd be coming off the back of their quarterfinal. But now Ulster are in a quarterfinal of their own, so they're going to have a come down of some sorts from that game, which is going to be similar to Glasgow's, and now you're basically on a level playing field uh, as opposed to going over there maybe in a bit of a... A bit of a better league uh, mindset than Glasgow were. You'd certainly expect them to put five points in the Kings. Anything less than five points would be a disaster there. Um, and then the last three games, yeah, it's 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 so hard to tell. It's it's looking at the teams around you. We talked for so long about how Ulster had to create some kind of a buffer going into those final three games. And looking at that table, it looks like they're either going to go in with maybe a, a five six point gap um mm -hmm. over fourth place maybe not even that depending on the results in the week before europe so they're now in a position where they have to look at taking something from their last three games ideally you take at least one win if not two uh, which is not the position they wanted to be in but They've got momentum now, and that's the big thing. They're yeah. they're actually playing in a way that makes you think they can translate that from the Six Nations, uh, period into the final three games because we've seen in previous years how Ulster struggle when their internationals are away. That hasn't happened this year, which is something <coughs> yeah, that they haven't had. That. Yeah. That's something they haven't had for the last couple of years. So these guys are now coming back. 
um, you know, best Stockdale Henderson. They're coming back into a happy camp as opposed to a camp that, uh, say, last year was really struggling. I know after that Cardiff game last year, best sat down and had a had a really right come to your senses. We've got to get our act together. Um, you don't see them having to do that this year, and I think that's that's the big difference. So it'll be interesting to see how that translates into the final three games, four games. Yeah. Um, of and we, we always talk about this difficult run-in, but we can probably, given recent weeks' events, look at that Edinburgh fixture with a lot more confidence. Well, interestingly enough, the next round of games anyway has Scarlets against Edinburgh and Leinster hosting Benetton. So in actual fact, okay. if Ulster so get their five against good. Kings, they could be going into these uh, this last these last few games looking in very good shape indeed. Theoretically yeah. in second. They should mm-hmm. be in second because they should get their five. You'd like to hope Leinster, mm-hmm. who, as we know, cannot now I think be caught in Conference B, their home and host, will still look too much yeah. for Benetton. I think it's in Dublin as well. <laughs> yeah. uh, you'd like to think. <laughs> and then this would create some space. And then, as you say, we get into those, those last three games against sides who, interestingly enough, are also in the European quarterfinals as well. And mm-hmm. some will still have interest, presumably, in, um, in continuing on in Europe yeah. as well. So it could be that that last Leinster game, if it's still important, that Leinster really do what they've often done, send up almost a shadow team because they don't need that game. Mm-hmm. It could be... Um, that, you know, I, I don't think Glasgow are going to have it quite so easy because they're fighting with Munster, I think. Yes. Mm. So one of those games, um, certainly, if it comes to it, Ulster might find themselves playing against a fairly diluted Leinster side. And if yeah. it's still, if things are still in play, that could work to their advantage at the Kings fan. Yeah. But, you know, we don't know. And, don't and there's know. an awful lot of... The, the biggest yeah. influencers for Ulster outside of themselves could be the other Irish provinces yeah. because obviously they've got Leinster in the final game of the season as Michael says you're hoping they'll send up a shadow side they all play Benetton between now and the end of the season I believe all, all three of them play Benetton okay. so you, you're hoping that all three of them can do Ulster a favour by <laughs> yeah. winning all three of those games Mind you, Benetton of course as we know are, aren't really aren't, aren't bad at all to put it mildly not so they're exactly. not they're not gimmies um, yeah. I'm really enjoying Benetton this year uh, I'm really hoping yeah. they finish their, uh, their improvements probably been the story of uh, one yeah. of the big stories the Pro 14 uh, before we leave the Pro 14 let's have a little discussion about this uh, Welsh rugby reshuffle which when I first saw the story as, as Jonathan said yesterday I thought it was a piss tag it's mm. mad Uh <laughs> Somebody who uh, is more versed on it than me, give us a, a little uh, update on where exactly we are with this and what they make. But actually, we'll throw Kyle McNeely's question in. Uh, what do the changes to the Welsh regions mean for the Pro 14? Um, particularly as for the most part, Ospreys and Scarlets have been the most competitive Welsh side. So what exactly is happening and what does it mean? Well, to, just to kind of, for anybody who doesn't know, the, the plan is, in a nutshell, uh, for the Scarlets and the Ospreys to merge and create a West Wales region and then for there to be the creation of a North Welsh region to fill out the four uh, four Welsh spots. That's it, that's it, very basic. Like There's a whole lot of things going on under the surface and the Ospreys have released a statement saying this isn't happening and uh, the Professional Rugby Board in Wales have said it is happening and we're not quite sure where, where this actually sits. But the bottom line is... This this is absolutely insane that you have teams coming out and saying this isn't happening and your PRB saying this is happening and, and WRE are saying it is happening. <laughs> <laughs> but it's 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 crazy like that this has managed to get to this this stage of 
nobody is quite sure what's actually happening. And both sides are sticking to their stories and saying yes, 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 or no, no, no. And I think one of the one of the biggest problems is they're talking about it coming in for next season, and you've suddenly seen all this vitriol coming out afterwards of yeah. um, how so many people are opposed to it, and uh, there's so many supporters of it that. I just feel like this has to be put on the back burners until until they can actually get it sorted yeah. because that until there's something concrete in place ready to go, they shouldn't be talking about next season. Mm-hmm. They should be talking about right, how do we get this, you know, in a position where everybody's backing it? Yeah. And then we'll talk about introducing That's what it. Makes it all the more mad though that the stories come out when it's, it's terrible when it's timing, in. but then this is another project reset they're calling it, which is yeah. an interesting uh, bit of terminology. Uh, Warren Gatlin's come out and said as well, it's obviously a distraction for the, yeah. the national squad. Um, it appears to be dreadfully timed, as these things so often are, mm-hmm. and it seems to be utter utter chaos. Um, nobody seems to, as Adam said, have any idea what's actually going on, other than there have been discussions. It's a bit like the World Rugby League, actually. It's, it's very similar. Yeah. More uh, stuff coming out at perhaps a very inappropriate time, causing almost mayhem, really, and, and people... Yeah saying, what does this mean? Why is this happening? And then other people coming in and going, well, no, actually, you couldn't have that. It, it just, it looks like, um, well, Wales have been struggling for a long time to try and do something about this anyway. Mm-hmm. There been a number of other ideas being put forward over recent years. Uh, this seems to be one of the more uh, radical ones because mm-hmm. I wouldn't uh, totally agree. Uh, I wouldn't have thought that the Scarlets would have lost their identity. And I would have also thought that the Ospreys might have had a chance. You kind of look at the Dragons and you go, well, mm. hang on a minute now. If I want to get rid of a team, what team would you maybe look <laughs> yeah. at? Mm. Um, but they, Every they, visiting player to Rodney Parade's just going, please, 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 no more. No more. Uh, but it, it is bewildering. And I don't think anybody, and again, this, this by the time this, this podcast is over, it could have been overtaken by events again because it seems to be a very fluid situation as well. Yeah, I think one of the things you have to bear in mind is there are so many people in the middle of this who have no idea what's going on. You know, you have people yeah. at the Scarlets and the Ospreys who are suddenly fearing for their jobs. You have players wondering where am I actually going to be playing my rugby next season. Yeah. Um, the, there's a whole load of people in the middle of this who are who just have no answers as to what's actually going on. Like especially if yeah. you're at the Ospreys, if you're being told that your team's not going to exist next season, and then your team comes out and say says it is going to exist next season, what do you do? You know, so yeah. it, it's just such a difficult situation. I understand where they're coming from in terms of wanting to sort of reset the regions and try and make them more competitive because I know they. They're a bit worried about how uh, how only the Scarlets really over the last couple of years have had any kind of success. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it just seems like this has been horribly managed. Yeah. There, there, I saw a lot of people on social media sort of saying afterwards, Kyle's asking what it means for the Pro 14. A lot of people saying, oh, does this mean it's going to be a Pro 13 next year? It's not really as simple as that, though. Is it? I mean, we had all the talk recently about more South African sides and basically could be anything from like a Pro 13 to a Pro 16 next year. We have no idea. No idea. It's really not good for the competition, which inevitably I think is going to struggle um, if the World Rugby League comes in because I don't know quite how mm-hmm. it's going to work mm-hmm. fit in with that especially with the European fixtures as we're being rumoured would have to be moved I don't know where the Pro mm-hmm. 14 will be and it is an interesting question which hasn't I think been properly addressed because nobody knows the answer to yeah. it quite frankly yeah. but as you say it doesn't help that they don't even know how many teams might be in it 
in, in really only a few months time when you think about it yeah, we're in March now mad. throw a Georgian team and an American team in there and everything's <laughs> sorted um, speaking of the World League Adam you did it such a good job of updating us on the Wales situation what about the World League where are we with this is it any more clear than the Welsh situation <laughs> yeah so possibly less World League it's a mooted 12 team international league um, between the teams in the Six Nations the Rugby Championship, and you need to add uh, the USA and Japan in mm-hmm. there as well, and you'd create one big world league. Uh, so all the Six Nations results would apply for the for the table. All the Rugby Championship results mm-hmm. would apply. Then the summer tests would effectively form games uh, for this new world league, and then you'd all play your playoffs in I think it's December, November, December. Yeah. So. So basically, but, it's taken up every international fixture. Yes, it's effectively, it is international yeah, rugby apart it, from the World Cup. It, it would yeah, take it, it would take out friendlies. I know yeah. people don't like to call the November tests as friendlies, but yeah. that's effectively what they are. It would eliminate that, and it would make mm. them competitive fixtures mm. now with but points at stake. The, the biggest question for me, and I don't think it's really been addressed that much from the, the player statement or on, on other things, although maybe it was and I just haven't seen it, but where does this leave the other teams that, that Adam didn't mention there? I mean, there are a lot oh. of <laughs> historic rugby playing nations yeah. there this being is left largely out. the Pacific Islands and exactly. uh, it would appear that if there is no promotion relegation and depending on who you listen to, there isn't or there might be, mm-hmm. um, they're out and that's it. They will get into the World Cup. Um, that's ridiculous that isn't it like, is it just me or is that it, yeah, it's, it reminds Samoa, me of the time cricket Fiji, Samoa, Tonga, Fiji Tonga Georgia Georgia are the, the ones that, well Georgia obviously in Pacific but you know the ones that spring mm. to mind but uh, yeah that, that's how is this supposed to grow the game if you're effectively cutting some of the world out of it uh, it well, doesn't world rugby have been quite relatively proactive in, in, in letting it be known how much they've tried to support the Pacific Islands over the years who traditionally don't have the money and all their top players tend to drift away to the likes of New Zealand or mm-hmm. dare I say even come Northern Hemisphere mm-hmm. um, yeah. but it would appear that um, somebody somewhere is looking at it and thinking it's not sustainable so to make the international game sustainable it's kind of like sorry guys uh, we're not okay. going to we ain't doing this anymore now I think Augustine Pichot put out a, he's a, you know number two in world rugby to Bill Bowman, I think, put out a tweet last week, which suggested that he wasn't really supporting this oh, idea. That's right. Yeah, did which, that. which again, in a very sort of project reset way, has thrown everything into <laughs> yeah. quite a lot of confusion. Yeah. And in fact, probably in about two hours after we finish the, this podcast, if if the pattern's anything to go by, <laughs> some other unbelievable event is going to emerge, <laughs> yeah. which we're going to have to talk about a week later again. Yeah. That seems to be the pattern. Yeah. But anyway, oh, yeah. welcome the, to the podcast. I know. <laughs> that's <laughs> the, what happens everywhere. The key is that nobody really seems to know. And yeah. obviously the players are very concerned. Um, was it Kieran Reid, Johnny Sexton? Uh, I can't remember who the other one. Oh, no, and Farrell Owen came Farrell. out yeah. and, and sort of made you know made it clear how unhappy they were over mm-hmm. certain aspects of it. But then, of course, they're players and players move on. And you've already got Kieran Reid who's announcing he'd retire after the yeah. World Cup and mm-hmm. go and play in Japan. Yeah. So he'll probably be out of that in terms of mm-hmm. trying to you know fight that corner because yeah. he won't be a leading international player anymore. Mm-hmm. It is bewildering. And again, as ever, as we discussed before, it comes out at a particularly uh, interesting time when we're in the middle mm-hmm. of the sort of, you might describe it, elongated Six Nations now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's fair to say nobody really knows. Yeah. yeah. No? I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing how much information this week has come out and nobody actually really knows definitively what's going on. Personally, I just think you can't ring fence uh, 
international rugby mm. like that, you know, especially for nations uh, like Georgia, Fiji, uh, mm-hmm. Tonga, Samoa, Canada, even who have been yeah, showing a lot of improvements over the last few years. I just don't think you can turn your back on them and just say, sorry guys, you're not good enough. You're not joining our wonderful new league that mm. everyone's going to love playing. And because then yeah. you create a huge divide between oh, yeah. the tier one nations and the tier two nations. If you're, you know, those Pacific Islanders and you're never playing against the likes of uh, New Zealand or yeah. uh, any any of the top 10 teams in the world rankings, then what is the incentive keeping you there? Yeah. You would much Almost rather go to you would much rather go to the northern hemisphere or move into super mm. rugby and play against these guys for a club as opposed to keeping yeah. your allegiance with your nation and playing against them for your country. Mm-hmm. You you'd much rather or you start to prioritize club rugby, which um, is obviously so, such a big problem, mm. but. Yeah. Funnily enough, it's all about money at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah funnily enough. Uh, of course. Yeah. It's, very, it's very interesting that the USA were invited in. Yes, and Japan. Yeah. And Japan, yeah, of course. Um, um, we'll move on then to... Uh, well, we're already in international rugby, but the, the Six Nations this weekend. Uh, Ireland welcome France on Sunday at 3pm. Oh, speaking of Sunday at 3pm, that's when Ulster's game kicked off last weekend when we were supposed to have a live blog, but that was my fault. I was supposed to do it, but... Uh, situations beyond my control came up there was no live blog so I want to apologise for that but all I will say is that things, some things are more important than work but apologies and uh, we, we will endeavour to have uh, our live blogs back for the rest of the Ulster fixtures this season and indeed the Six Nations fixture this Sunday at 3pm Ireland against France so we have the, the Ulster or the Ireland squad then um, has been announced Robbie Henshaw has not made it what are the, the rest of the, the talking points six Ulstermen in there uh, six Ulstermen in there. I'm trying to count in my head now, and I know it's uh, Rob Herring's been called back in. Yeah, so he joins after. Best, Henderson, Murphy, Cooney, and Stockdale. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I yeah. had no, um, no, Rob has very much profited from what seems to be Sean Cronin getting a very quick cull for his performance against Italy, which on the face of it seems harsh, but that's the way Joe Schmidt operates, I suppose, in that in the build-up to a World Cup year, you can't really afford to carry any passengers, and he's decided that's mm-hmm. what that performance is, uh, as Mark Cronin down as, uh, unfortunately. But Herring steps in, hat-trick against Zebra, strong performance against the Dragons, and now he'll be looking to get on the bench for the France game, which could put him into the World Cup uh, frame, mm-hmm. which of course is so important. Um, I think coming in at this point, he's got to be thinking to himself, well, now I've been given the chance, Cronin mm-hmm. hasn't taken his, if I can take mine, I'll be on my way to Japan in the summer. So, great to see him back in. Uh, I still think he's one of the most underrated performers for Ulster, particularly when Best is away um, on international duty. Uh, and then the rest mm. of them, you, you expect them to be in there. They've been in there the yeah. whole uh, whole tournament. So John Cooney will probably play five or six minutes. John Cooney, well, if well, he's if he's he even on the so. bench. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, yeah, uh, with Kieran Marmion back, it, it, Joe Schmidt may find it uh, too tempting not to to revert back to what mm. his preferred one and two is, yeah. is mm-hmm. when, when everybody's what do you what do you think of Rob Herring's chances now he's been given the, the opportunity as Adam says what are your mega chances of, of getting a World Cup berth oh I mean his chances of going to the World Cup would be reasonably good he's got to obviously get some game time though um, he's performing well with Ulster but with 
Rory Best coming back and playing some, one would assume, some of the key games, he's going to have to bench again, which means he isn't necessarily going to get a great deal of, of mm-hmm. game time. I mm. would be surprised if he's benched for this game. Um, yeah. With uh, Scanlon around, Niall Scanlon around, I'd be very surprised. But it is very interesting that um, Joe Schmidt, uh, I'm assuming Sean Cronin isn't injured, that Joe Schmidt has made the decision that, quite frankly, he's not having Cronin in this expanded squad, so in you come Rob. It, it gives him an opportunity, but he needs game time, naturally enough. And if we were selecting the World Cup squad in the next week or two, uh, I'd say that what's happened to Sean Cronin would certainly put Rob very much in the frame. But then again, you know, Leinster have got some key games coming up. If Cronin, you know, shines in these games because he's mm-hmm. got the opportunity to play in them, which yeah. Rob won't have necessarily, if, mm-hmm. uh, then he ne- you never know, he may leapfrog him again. Mm-hmm. But it, it's it's very interesting development for Rob. Uh, and it would be it would be really good if you saw him on the bench against uh, the French. But I, I don't, I'd be surprised. But hey, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> given the concern that has been coming out of the Ireland yeah. camp or the admissions of concern uh, that they're, they're basically all saying they're just as worried as the fans are it really gives these last two Six Nations matches such importance to see some sort of hope leading into the, the World Cup because I don't know about you guys but I'm starting to really fear for it I think a, a lot of people got too high after last year. Last year was brilliant, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not trying to downplay what Ireland did last year. But some people got too high and immediately put Ireland as World Cup favourites. And I think that that has probably hurt them a bit. That's probably put a little bit of pressure on them. And then just the fact of how bad the England game was just how well England suffocated them and prevented them from doing anything offensively that we've we've seen from them in previous years. Um, I think that just scared them even more that, oh no, a team's finally worked us out. And then that's kind of bled down into the Scotland and Italy performances. So I, I think the most important thing for Ireland isn't necessarily results, it's more performance Mm-hmm. Um, obviously if, if you put in good performance the result usually follows but um, I think they'd be happier if they showed signs of what they did last year um, as opposed to squeaking out results I, I think they'd be happier with that it's all a build up to the World Cup Schmidt has said this uh, I think publicly uh, that it, you'd rather lose the Six Nations and win the World Cup his legacy with Ireland is going to be the World Cup. He He's done it all in terms of the Six Nations, uh, Grand Slam, beating the All Blacks. The only thing that he hasn't done with Ireland is win the World Cup. So that's where his focus is going to be. So right now, everything that he does is going to be a with an eye on the World Cup, which is probably why Cronin's out. He's probably mm-hmm. going to take a look and see mm-hmm. uh, what his options what are at Hooker. So I'd... I think in in terms of the fact that they're worried about their performances shows that they do recognise that mm-hmm. things aren't going the way that they want to. And I think they recognise that they need to get it sorted. But I don't think there's going to be panic. I think they're probably mindful of the fact that, sure, it'd be good to win the Six Nations. Obviously, you'd love to win the Six Nations again. But I think they're still 
mindful of the fact that this is all a build-up to the World Cup, yeah. and you've got to keep that as the priority, yeah. not the Six Nations. And with that in mind, we can, we can expect a victory this weekend, but the manner of it is... Oh, I'm terrified. You know, this is oh, the first time the French have picked the same team in successive tests since 2012. I'm terrified. <laughs> They're starting to do that now. Maybe they know something that we don't. Everyone in their right positions, too. Uh-huh. So, you know, no, 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 no. It's absolutely no gimme. Far from it. Uh, I'm from a time when... It just shows how old I am. When, when you played France away, you took a shoeing. And when yeah. you played them at home, you occasionally won. But you had no chance playing them away. Now, obviously, this is in Dublin. They have a very, very good record. I don't think they've lost to them in Dublin. Lost, that is, have been a draw so, since 2011, which was a World Cup warm-up game. It was the last time mm-hmm. that uh, France mm-hmm. won in Dublin. But this is an Ireland team that doesn't look terribly happy about itself. It's a French team which could go any way at all. But they have, um, have the ability to... The French, this is... To uh, they have the ability to put Ireland under extreme stress. The problem is that you have absolutely no idea whether they're going to be able to do this or not. But incredibly, they seem to have found a settled side. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't mean anything much, really. But in French rugby, in French <laughs> terms, it actually I, I contradict myself. It does. Um, and Jacques Brunel says he's he's extremely happy about this um, with Dupont and, and Intimac at halfback. And their back three as well is pretty darn good as well. Mm. With Pano, I think it's... Um, Puget and, and Ramos. Ramos. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, these guys are given any opportunity will tear it up. And their forwards mm. are pretty decent too. Um, so, you know, they're, 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 not, they're, not, they're not finishing off chances, but they're creating lots of chances. I think as well, they've got something like um, they're the top line break in the Six mm-hmm. Nations, and something like that, and offloads as well. But they're not necessarily putting it away. If they do click, and France being France, it will happen, but you never know when. And it may only happen for a brief period. Mm-hmm. But they could put Ireland under extreme pressure. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's where Ireland want to be. I don't think they want to be under extreme pressure because the way they're playing at the moment, I just don't think they have enough confidence yeah. to come through that. So you can only hope that you know they do click this is Ireland they managed mm-hmm. to click they managed to get Murray and Sexton gelling well and that France most importantly do not it's not just about throwing Bastereau up uh, against people they have plenty of subtlety and ability to play with some fantastic counter-attacking rugby if, mm-hmm. if, if, if needs be mm-hmm. and that would, that's what would worry me that they might just stress Ireland in, in a way that they may not have seen since England some of that stuff against Scotland from France was sublime. Like yeah. it's harking back to the great France teams uh, from the past. And as Michael says, when they click, they're phenomenal. They have that French flair. They're uh, they're just so good. And some of that interplay is phenomenal. Uh, I'm just looking forward to seeing Demba Bamba. Oh, yeah, he's, been a, <laughs> he's been a tremendous player because he's not even playing in the top fourteen. Yeah. As far as I know, he's not. He's no, he's he's on loan at Brave and Brody yeah, yeah. too, and he's right. uh, he'll be heading back to Leon next year, where no doubt he'll just step straight into mm. their starting tight head jersey and get even better by playing against mm-hmm. better players week in week out. Before we tackle the rest of our listener questions, <laughs> then Ireland squad were up in Belfast last week. Michael, you were there, and uh, the nice. fans absolutely loved it. Oh yeah, it was great, and it was actually very good from our perspective too, because um, apparently, you know. Ireland don't usually train, so you know, with us media types mm-hmm. watching them, it just doesn't yeah. happen at Carton House. You go, you do the interviews, you leave. Mm-hmm. So to see them train at all was really, very interesting yeah. from our perspective. But there were lots and lots of people there. It was a beautiful day, 
and uh, you know it, it was they really they really put on a really good show. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone who went wouldn't have said you know it was a bit boring really. No, they would have loved it, and yeah. you know, and um, they were whipping up the crowd at times and doing various things. There was I think it was an MC, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. Yeah. Uh, but also just just watching how they went about their business. Now clearly, we're not seeing the subtleties. We're no. just seeing them go through a very regimented session. Mm-hmm. But it was very interesting to see them. Uh, they they went up against the under twenties with something akin to pretty close to full contact, I think, at the end. Yeah. And uh, that was interesting. It was also interesting the way Joe Schmidt would take out particular players for no particular reason from the Ireland team and get them to go and do some training drills by themselves mm-hmm. um, and then call them back in again. So he was sort of switching things around. But mm-hmm. it, it was a rare opportunity to see them actually go through you know, some, some drills, and that was very interesting. Yeah, did you feel you got any insights into their play? Well, uh, no, you won't have got any real insights into their play. The only thing you really got to see was most interesting who wasn't there, if you know what I mean. Um, And also you got the sight of Johnny Sexton and and Joey Carberry not taking any active part in it, but doing Mm -hmm. their own little thing away from it all. Um, But no, there'll be no insights. It was just a very straightforward session. Mm -hmm. I mean, he knows only too well that he's not going to obviously put stuff out there (laughs) that somebody might get on their phone and go, ooh, look at that. Send that on to Jacques Brunel. I'm just imagining Joe Schmidt standing there with a megaphone. All right, this is the play we're going to run off first phase against (laughs) France. Mm -hmm. Watch closely. Yes, on to our listener questions then. Rob Kenny, we'll start off with him on the, the international theme. Um, he asked, what do you make of the lack of Ulster representation in Ireland under 26 nations so far? Obviously, uh, Callum Reid from Banbridge has played, as has Angus Kernahan and David McCann from the Ulster Academy. Um, he asked, is it just one of those things, due to injuries, timing, things like that, or is should we read a little bit more into this in terms of a sign of weakness in the Ulster Academy? Very good question. Um, I think whenever you look at that Ulster Academy, there are a lot of talented guys in there, but it's ju- it's just a case of there might be there might be one more guy a little bit more talented than them in another academy, and that them's the breaks. It doesn't mean Ulster's academy isn't good and doesn't have good players and it could just be that one player needs one more year to develop than another player mm. so you're looking at someone like and I'm literally pulling a name out of the academy here I'm not necessarily necessarily saying this is the case but Azar Allison let's say he needs one more year to develop than someone else someone in the Leicester academy next year he could be uh, even better and he yeah. could be in the under 20s and th- that could happen to another four guys in the Ulster Academy and suddenly Ulster have nine, ten guys in the Ireland team next year and you know we're not talking about that we're talking about how great uh, Ulster's <laughs> representation is yeah. so I wouldn't necessarily be worried about it yeah you would love to see more Ulster guys in there and yeah of course you'd love to see more Ulster guys playing especially the way the under 20s are going at the moment mm-hmm. um, but at the same time I, I wouldn't necessarily necessarily say it's worrying the, the better thing to judge academy players by is how they're viewed within the system you know mm-hmm. if, if they're making appearances for Ulster if they're you know sure. getting a bench appearance every so often then that's a good sign that they're being looked at by the coaches and they're they're potentially going to contribute uh going down the line because you think about that Eric O'Sullivan uh, never played under 20s for Ireland mm-hmm. and Look at him now, where we're saying he he's 
probably on the cusp of being called up to the Ireland senior squad. So, mm-hmm. you know, Ireland under-20s isn't the barometer for how successful a player is. It's a good indicator of where they are in their development, but it's it's not saying, oh, you you never played Ireland yeah. under-20s, mm-hmm. you're never going to amount to be a professional yeah. player. Quite, quite a lot of them never actually come through anyway, yeah. all mm-hmm. the way um, yeah. to the senior side. Uh, but it is it's difficult to know because we're the, the, the information that's available as to these guys fitness isn't there anymore mm-hmm. so for yeah, instance quoting that player that you were mentioning Adam you know it could be um, that he's injured yeah um, but we actually don't know because yeah. these players disappear for lengthy periods of time over mm. the course of this championship when they're in a squad and they're not necessarily back with their clubs yeah. but they could also have injuries or concussions and things like that that might have uh, mm-hmm. you know played a factor in them not appearing yeah. Uh, but yeah. I would be a little bit more worried about it actually I would be a little bit yeah. more worried that there are very few um, featuring but as Adam said it's it could come back again next year and that mm-hmm. you might just have more mm-hmm. um, and again we're about to see a side and again we don't know if um, they'll rotate anybody we just don't know that's mm-hmm. the side that comes out this week might have yeah. a whole yeah. clapper of when you say you're you're more worried about it then in terms of the academy if you look at well Nevin McIntyre's question points out that Balakoon, Larry Hume and Kernan all have made the grade at senior level this year yeah. so surely the Ulster Academy will say well certainly in terms of the backs and we'll deal with the forwards and Nevin's question uh, in a little minute but certainly in terms of the backs the Ulster Academy doing a very good job yeah now. well I, I really kind of meant the forwards though really but I mean I didn't actually okay. specify that so <laughs> well <laughs> we'll move on to the forwards now then that neatly links in with Nevin's question he asks uh, points out those guys and says there seems to be a lack of Ulster born forwards breaking through Um. So we just asked why do you think that is and is there anybody in the academy or who in the academy is best equipped to step up? So where do you where do you assess that uh, situation at the minute, Michael, with the forwards? Well, we're certainly not seeing them, that's very true. I, I think it's too difficult to say why. I don't yeah. know why is, is the short answer. I really, really don't know why. There are a few of those guys, quite a lot of them are injured. I mean, mm. They do get injured quite a lot. Like, for instance, we mentioned Jack Regan, who's only just come back to club rugby, for instance. Um you know, Matt Dalton seems to be getting injured and he appears sometimes from alone and then he has to withdraw. We don't we don't necessarily know. Zach McCall plays what every practically every week for Balna Hinch, but look at the roster for hookers. Mm. So mm-hmm. the, the, you know, he, he he's not gonna get through at the moment. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Hall I think he's still with the Academy, yes, I think. He's he gets is. also a very bad injury profile. So it okay. could, that that could all and I don't really yeah. know about Arthur Ronson um what story is he doesn't play that often I think for Palomino I think his club mm-hmm. so I don't know why that is Did we not discuss about a year ago in terms of the Ulster Academy that there were a lot more backs on contracts than forwards? We, we did yes but it could purely again I'm, I'm not speaking with any in-depth knowledge but it could just be a case of the, the talent isn't there you know you, you can't magically create the next Ian Henderson you know you can only mm-hmm. you can only bring through Ulster born forwards who are there you, you know and that that's all you can do you can't just go out there and go you you're going to be the next Ian Henderson come with us you're going to train 24/7 and magically you're going to become the next Ian Henderson you you're given what you're given and that that's all you can bring into the academy so and quite often you bring players in from outside, yeah, uh, like Jack Regan, for instance. Could it be that the academy are consciously targeting bringing three more backs because they see that where the need is in the squad? Well, given all those retirees well, given, we've had, given that over the last 
several years the pack has been the problem, then it, sh- it should stand to be that Ulster should have been focusing more on the pack and bringing through guys like be that. A big, a big turnover in the backs, given all the people that have retired. They probably knew that was coming. You were looking at the age profile. Well, they did, but I, I, think, I think Ulster are going through a patch at the moment where they have a very good crop of players. You look at Lowry, Hume... Um, guys like them who have been earmarked for a while as players who could come through and make a big impact. So it's, mm-hmm. it's not like they've been focusing on yeah. um, getting mm-hmm. these guys in. You know, pe- People could have told you from maybe two, three years ago that these guys were well on their way yeah. to being Ulster Academy Ooh. players and then it's... Ulster players in the future. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's necessarily putting a bigger focus on the backs. I think it's just a case of whenever you bring guys into the academy, it's not necessarily that these guys are going to be, you know, Ulster's marquee guys for the next few years. Most of these guys are either going to drop out altogether, or not, sorry, not drop out. They're, they're not going to get something at the end of it altogether, or they could be squad guys. Because yeah. if, you, if you look at the Ulster Academy, how many guys from the Ulster Academy have gone on to be superstars of this team? You've got Henderson and Stockdale in that squad mm. is there anybody else who came through the academy who you consider to be world class so I think people also have to keep in mind their expectations from the academy the academy isn't there to produce superstar after superstar after superstar mm-hmm. if they do that's great but you also have to bring through squad guys guys who are going to be great players for whenever you're in international periods and whenever you yeah. lose best Henderson Murphy Cooney Stockdale, mm. you got to have guys stepping in to fill in those gaps, and that's where you, that's where you need a lot of your academy guys to be stepping up as well. Yeah, that's very true. Um, but Kyle Johnson asked about Angus Curtis. Uh, he can have a little listen to near the end of last week's podcast when there was a, a good discussion about Angus. Um, Lewis Stranahan then asked, "Are could see and Addison likely to be fit for the quarterfinal? People love talking about the quarterfinal. Do we know any more about Ulster? You just said that sort of." Hopefully they'll be fit. Uh, no, it, uh, we, we don't know anything more. The hope would be they'd be fit. And I suppose, um, again, you would look to that Kings game and if they're not out for that, you would wonder uh, what's going on because they would need to really get some game time before the, uh, the quarterfinal. Mm-hmm. And Peter Bird, another question about the quarterfinal. What's your starting team likely to be for Leinster in the Aviva? Given, as you pointed out earlier, Adam, it's three and a half weeks away. Bit difficult, but as... Uh, as Michael was pointing out there, maybe the, the Kings game could be <clears throat> key in that. Could be injuries, could be... Well, we, we don't know. We don't know if Kutsi and Allison are going to be back. We certainly hope they will be, but we don't know for certain. So, I mean, I could, I could take a stab at a team right now, but I, I really don't think it would be... Uh, mm-hmm. it'd be worth it because for all we know all the Ireland guys are going to come back injured and in the meantime <laughs> four guys are going to get injured in training we, we, we don't know <laughs> so at the, at the moment like the, the team I think practically uh, picks itself but I'm, I'm not even going to with yeah. Addison at 13 presumably and say somebody like Louis Ludwig yeah. at 15 and you might mm-hmm. throw in Robert Palacoon I assume he's on the European squad. I can't remember maybe Bialda. but anyway yeah. it kind of does pick itself in, yeah. in many regards doesn't yeah. it if you yeah. have Hendy and Rory Best back mm-hmm. and Jordy Murphy all firing yeah. and could see yeah. Yeah. that's fair that's fair um, that's basically else for the questions then for this week so we're on to the clubs um, on to the clubs Adam take it away 
Thank you very much. Uh, last week in Division 1B, Malone suffered their second straight loss as they went down 11-6 at home to Buccaneers, which has allowed Balna Hinch to draw level with them in second on 38 points after they defeated Nace 13-5 at Ballymacarn Park. They're both four points behind leaders Old Wesley, who consigned Banbridge to a 22-0 defeat at Donnybrook, which drops Ban all the way down to ninth. City of Armagh are now third and just one point behind Malone and Hinch after their 27-15 win over Ballymena, who are now a massive 12 points adrift at the bottom. In Division 2A, Queen's University won the Battle of the Students as they came away from Blackrock College with a 24-17 win to consolidate their spot in fourth. In Division 2B, Rainey's hopes of catching the top two look to be over after they suffered a 27-20 loss at Scarries, although they do stay third and in control of a playoff spot. While Dungannon took a step away from the bottom two with a 24-0 win over Galway Corinthians at Stevenson Park, and Belfast Harlequins also opened up a five-point gap between themselves and Sunday's well at the bottom after they beat... Wanderers 15-7 at Derrimore. And in Division 2C, Oma are still holding on to the final playoff spot after defeating City of Derry 32-25 in their Ulster Derby that keeps Derry 8th. Meanwhile, Bangor's season continues to go the wrong way as they were beaten at home by Tullamore at 16-5 to drop them down to 7th. So looking ahead to this weekend... In Division 1B, the Ulster Derby has serious stakes this week as Ballymena travel to Rifle Park for a bottom two clash with Banbridge. A win for the hosts could relegate the Braidmen to Division 2A. City of Armagh hope to continue their fine form when they welcome 5th place St Mary's College to the Palace Grounds. Malone will try and get back in the win column when they travel to 8th place Old Belvedere. And Balna Hinch will be hoping they fare better than Malone did when they travel to Buccaneers. In Division 2A, Queen's University will be hoping they can bag a maximum haul when they host 8th place Nina Ormond at the dub. In Division 2B, there's a big game at the bottom as 8th place Dungannon could further cement their safety in 2B if they can defeat Sunday's well at Stevens. Park, while Belfast Harlequins are away at Leaders MU Barnhall. Rainey are also on the road, they travel to Galway Corinthians. And in Division 2C, City of Derry are involved in another massive Ulster Derby this weekend as they welcome Bangor to Judges Road in an 8th versus 7th clash, while Omar are on the road to 2nd place Middleton, knowing a win would take them above the Cork side in the table. So it could be a significant weekend for Balamena and not in a, in a very positive way. Um... They could be away by the end of it. Well, the table's not looking good for them. <laughs> no, I'm going to be away sure. at some stage. And there, there is all sorts of scenarios, I think, potentially still at play here, but it's getting increasingly bleak looking for them yeah. and more and more likely that they are going to drop into 2A with the ramifications that that brings, which presumably will be lose contract players that mm-hmm. will be released to them and things like that. Very, very bleak outlook for them. Um yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's a huge game. It must be very difficult up there. Now, I, I saw them play in the Senior Cup final when City of Armagh beat them narrowly. Mm-hmm. And neither team played particularly well that night, really. But um, it was uh, alarming just how badly they declined in uh, the wake of that. And I, they did suffer a number of injuries in that game. And mm-hmm. uh, they, they, they really look as if um, they're, they're gone. It's something miraculous. I think it's going to have to happen now for them mm-hmm. to maintain their um, Division 1 status. Mm-hmm. Bizarre that Banbridge are now second bottom in the table. Again, we've, we've said it all season that it's so tight in that division that you know one one loss can drop you all the way from... I, th- I think they were fourth and now they're ninth. You know? yeah. so it's, 
it's just a case of results go against you one week and you fall five places. Only six points separating second, where Malone are now from ninth, yeah. Bambridge. <laughs> so it's a crazy situation. Yeah, yeah, They've yeah. obviously, everyone's been beating everybody else, and no one. Old Wesley have sort of pulled away a little bit now. I think it's about four. I think yeah, it's about four. four. So they, you know, uh, they could begin to potentially start mm-hmm. to to pull away, but you've no real idea because the, the results <laughs> have been so unpredictable. Yeah, could be very different this time next, next week. Yeah. Um, that's about uh, about us for this weekend. Uh, there's not more or less any other business. I enjoyed the any other business coming back. I forgot we used to do any other yeah. business until I listened to the podcast. I, was like, I remember we used to do that. I really enjoyed the any other business because of this Will Allison feeds ducks thing. Have you looked it up? I looked it bizarre. up. Uh, that was a thing about yeah, bizarre. Yeah, I heard about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, here it is. Yeah. I mean, this isn't going to come across well on the podcast because I'm showing you pictures. But yeah, there's uh, who's uh, it? who's that? Uh, just feeding feeding uh, ducks while he's playing for Ulster. Um, here's here's a little picture of Will Allison on one of the like banger ducks but I mean it's photoshop like he's not really there but who's I doing this thought so. I don't it's, know it's, it's really it's we, creepy we think hilarious. it's someone within the squad oh really I okay. would be very surprised if it wasn't it's fantastic <laughs> it, go and check that so, out if you're sitting at a computer yeah. or your phone right now look it up <laughs> um, any other business this week I, I do want to say congratulations to Graham Dewhurst some people will know Absolutely. him some people will know him he is the voice on the um, I, I'm not sure how he, he commentates on the Ulster games on the... Uh, I don't even know how to how to put this, but he commentates on the Ulster games uh, through the wee year pieces that you can get. Um, but he, he got his first game on Premier Sports at the weekend. He commentated on Connacht against the Ospreys. And it just so happened to be on this morning before I headed out and I watched it and he did a great job. So hopefully this is the first of many for him. So yeah, congratulations to him. Anything else, anything else to add, Michael? About that? Or oh, just, just in general? Yeah. Well, no, uh, congratulations, Graham. I know him. Uh, he would often uh, do the park runs on Saturday morning, same ones as myself, so I, I, I know him. Oh, My word, so. can make shortbread as an athlete. Is there anything you can't do? I didn't make that. Do? I didn't oh, well, make that. You know, didn't have to admit that. <laughs> um, That's where you say, yes, I made that <laughs> yeah. excellent cook. I'm no. going on the Great British Bake Off next week. No, no, not at all, no. But so, I mean, I, I didn't realise this until Adam told me, so, I mean, that, 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 that's great. Well, yeah. I played him. But other, other than that, no, I don't really think so, no. That's pretty much us then. And we'll be back next week for our normal podcast offering, looking back at Ulster's game. No, looking ahead, no. looking ahead to Ulster's game at Southern Kings. And uh, back at Ireland. What? What are you shaking your head at? Ulster don't play the following no. week. They've got two weeks off. Yeah. Well, they have not, have they? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's ridiculous. That's just too, too long away. 23rd or something. What are we going yeah. to talk about next week? So guys, Ireland? next week we're going to be back talking about Ireland's Ireland. game against France and looking ahead to the Skills Cup final. So from Michael Sauter, the shortbread chef. Thank you very much. Uh, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, guys. And myself, Gareth Hunt. Thanks for listening.